All right, how we doing, everybody? It is one twenty one twenty. I am your host, Will Reddington, and welcome to another episode of Red Talk. The Super Bowl is set. Trey Hayden is here to help me talk about the two teams playing and how they got here, as well as U of L and UK's huge road victories this past weekend. And then I'm joined by Shay Martin for our weekly edition of Bachelor Red Talk. Before we get started, our show is brought to you by O'Shea's Irish Pub. Come out to the downtown location at 123 Main Street on Wednesday for your Louisville basketball pre- or post-game activities. O'Shea's has great food, beer, and is just steps away from the KFC Yum Center. All right, let's get it going. All right, Trey, the Super Bowl is set. There is just one football game remaining. That's terrible news. It was a really weird NFL playoffs this year. Uh, The Titans and Packers both eliminated teams that felt like they were true contenders only to be beaten easily by the Chiefs and 49ers. But we still end up with a hell of a Super Bowl. Uh, Do you feel like these are the two best teams? Oh, yeah, for sure. Before I even go into that, definitely piggybacking off what you just said. Shout out to the Titans. Hell of a run. Felt like after like knocking off the Pats and the Ravens, they could have maybe went the distance. Uh, they just ran into an explosive offense. I think the best QB in the league when he's in his, when he's on in Mahomes. Uh, but to answer your question, it's hard to say that these two teams are 100% the best two teams. Uh, but I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that these teams are in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And then, well, I think last time we were actually on the podcast together, uh, we started talking about some sleepers, and we were like, they're not really a sleeper, but the Chiefs. They, yeah. They look really good. Um, so I think. More so, the, the dynamic here is the best defense versus the best offense. So it very well could be the two best teams, but I'm definitely not disappointed by any means with the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's really even. I think that the spread for the Super Bowl, like when it was released yet, anything would have been okay. Like the Niners being favored by up to three or the Chiefs being favored by up to three, I think would have made sense after you watched both those teams play. But, yeah, I mean, just a heck of a run from the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill making it that far, I mean, it it still doesn't feel right to say, but the Chiefs' defense just slowed them down. They they kept them to 24, and you know the Chiefs are going to get to 35. And Derrick Henry, 70 yards, they they kind of figured it out. And the Chiefs are really, really good at tackling, and that really stood out to me. The the Titans, the Mahomes play where he escapes to end end the first half and scores one of the best conference championship plays of all time. Easily. That play happens, and five Titans guys touch him, and he still ends up scoring, and he's a quarterback that is supposed to slide at any point, I guess. And the Chiefs, Derrick Henry still had some great plays, but the Chiefs put pressure on Tannehill all game, and there was a ton of plays where the Chiefs just first tackler knocked a guy out, and Mahomes had all day to throw. That he did. And that's going to be really interesting for the Super Bowl because the Niners made Rodgers really uncomfortable, and their pass rush is incredible. The Chiefs' pass blocking was as good as it could possibly be against the Titans, and Mahomes is as good of evading that as anyone. So I'm, I'm really interested to see who wins that. So you're right about the best offense, best defense thing. But on the Chiefs-Titans, Tennessee goes up early, which I had Derrick Henry for a first touchdown, plus 550. It seemed like the easiest thing in the world because the Titans can go up by however much, and the Chiefs never feel out of the game. It's never enough to just go up on the Chiefs, which I think is something to look out for in the Super Bowl. But what makes the Chiefs able to flip the switch that fast? Well, I think the the, the very first thing you notice is they just have so many weapons. You know, you got Tyreek Hill, arguably the fastest guy in the league. Uh, Travis Kelsey, also arguably the best tight end in football. 
And then, you know, you have a couple of different role players and Sammy Watkins, Damian Williams. He's really started to come on. Yes, he has. I took Damian Williams in the second round of my 12-man fantasy league. And all year, it was just like, Damian Williams is bad. You drafted him way too high. He's not good. He actually is very good. He just right. couldn't stay healthy. And now you're seeing it on the biggest stage, which unfortunately affects fantasy football. None. <laughs> yeah, that part sucks definitely for fantasy owners. I had him in one of my leagues also. But it is good to see and validate that he is what people exactly. thought he was. And, you know, him playing good football going into the playoffs and throughout the playoffs, I mean, yeah, it may not have been a good time for fantasy owners, but it definitely is for the Chiefs. It proves that he's a very capable and good running back that happens to play on the best passing offense in the NFL. So that is going to open it up for him. I thought he could have even been more effective against the Titans, but they just didn't use the play calling that way. But the way they use both these teams, the Niners and the Chiefs, do a ton of uh, reverse action, a lot of fake reverses to Debo Samuel, to Tyreek Hill, to Sammy Watkins. And it makes stopping the run really tough to stop because there's just two really different options of what you could do with the play. You can go inside or outside, and everybody's watching something different. I just think it's really effective, and those two teams have that in common, and you don't see a ton of teams doing that. The Rams did it last year, and it worked. Yeah, I agree. I definitely do see that from them. And I think if the Chiefs are going to have any chance to win the Super Bowl, they're definitely going to have to have an effective run game. Uh, like I know you just talked about the Niners' uh, de- defensive front and their pass rush yeah. is crazy. So you're going to have to neutralize that somehow, some way. Um, this will give Mahomes time. I know he's great at getting out of the pocket and scrambling. But you definitely got to have a solid run game against the Niners. No doubt. And their play calling in Kansas City just feels surgical. Like you're, you're watching the camera zoom out and they're showing you all the different stuff going on on these plays. And you're like, well, that guy's open too. Yeah. Like away from the play. And Mahomes just sees it all. He has limitless range in terms of throwing the ball into windows, in terms of throwing the ball down the field, throwing people open. You saw him throw the ball to receivers often yesterday that weren't even looking, and they just turn around the balls right there and they catch it and get a first down. It's scary. Do you think the Niners can slow that down? I think they can. I think they're definitely going to slow it down, but they're not going to just completely stop it. So that's why I'm really interested in this game. The Niners, we know they're going to show up on defense. We know that the Chiefs, they have a great offense, and you can slow them down. Uh, they've only scored under 21 points, I think, once this year. You can score, slow them down, but you're not going to stop them completely. So I think it's just going to be which side of the ball for those two, the offensive side for the Chiefs and the defensive side for the Niners, which team gives first. Yeah, I think we're looking at a high-scoring Super Bowl. I think that both of these defenses have great players everywhere, stars everywhere. I mean, Kansas City has – Tyran Matthew playing the best football of his career, as well as Frank Clark doing the same thing. And the Niners just have name guys that you know everywhere. I still think it probably goes over the total, which is set at 54 right now. That's really high for a game that usually features a ton of early nerves. It's high for a game that last season ended with a total of 16 points with the Rams and Patriots out there. But I, I feel like it's bound to go over. Like the, these teams' offenses are just so good, and the play calling is always so perfect that I don't see any way it goes under 54 points. Yeah, I think that's going to be very hard for it to stay under. You almost, like you said, you almost know that the Chiefs are going to get 21. To, so you know, I think the Niners are going to do a good job with their offense, uh, put some points on the board as well. So I definitely do think it goes over. It's just going to be interesting to see who comes out on top. Yeah, for sure. And. Mahomes yesterday, we said he had a ton of time in the pocket. He did his thing. Rodgers went 31 of 39 in San Francisco. That's really good. He had eight incomplete passes. But also, he throws two picks, and he fumbles the ball once, and they get it, and he fumbles another time, which 
is essentially a turnover. It forces them into a fourth down. The Packers ended up recovering it. So even though Rodgers had a ton of success in that game, honestly, it, it was weird. It was 27 nothing. like you can call it garbage time. But the Packers' offense was really able to get it going, passing the ball down the field for parts of that game. But the Niners just make a big play. They make them uncomfortable. They force a turnover. And I, I really don't know what to expect because I feel like Mahomes at this point is just way better than Rodgers. And nothing, not a knock on Rodgers. Mahomes is better than everybody. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like the public will just unload on the Chiefs in terms of betting because it's like that is clearly the better quarterback. Yep. And that, that's usually how people think. But uh, props to the Niners. I mean, that was so dominant of a, of a two-game playoff run that they just put together. The Chiefs absolutely looked more vulnerable at times than the 100%. Niners did. I mean, they went down double digits in both games that they won. The Niners did nothing but dominate the best teams in the NFC North. But, man, how good are the Packers? I mean, the Packers are 14-4, and four, but it still feels like I should say big deal after that. Yeah, the, the Packers this year, they've they frustrated me. I'm sure they frustrated a lot of different fans. They didn't look dominant at any point really in the year. They, they've looked good, but – They've gotten by, and I mean, yeah. sometimes that's what you got to do to get to where to the Super Bowl or to where you want to be. But you couldn't have told me at, looking at this year, oh, the Packers are going to be in the NFC Championship after watching the season all year. Definitely I mean, wouldn't said that. And gotten by is a great way to put it. They actually end this season with the worst point differential of a team that won eighty percent of their games in NFL history, except for when you include seasons where there were strikes. Wow! So they actually were the most non-impressive. 13-3 and three team of all time. They and sure looked like it. They got there. They got to the NFC Championship. They beat Russell Wilson. It felt like the Seahawks had the Niners number way better than the Packers did. I mean, the Packers minus 63-point differential in their three games in California this year, including the 15-point loss to the Chargers that they had. I don't know. I mean, the Seahawks and Niners absolutely battled both times they played. The Seahawks lost the last game by one yard. The yep. Seahawks beat them earlier in the season. I think that would have been a better game. And the Saints kind of blew it for everybody. But that's hard to say because I, I felt like the Vikings really earned that victory. But yeah. just felt like the Saints would have beaten the Packers, even if it was in Lambeau. It was weird how it worked out with the Ravens and the Patriots and the Saints and the Seahawks all getting knocked out before the big stage. Yeah, it was definitely weird uh, this year just to see some of those teams you named. Those are teams you expected to be in championship Sunday or so, yeah. one of those teams. So especially with the Saints, you know, that sucked for them. I thought they really had a good chance to win it all this year. Um, you know, Patriots, you always got to worry about them um, when it comes to playoff time. So it was very weird, but like I said, overall, I am happy with who's in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it feels like when you get that close in sports like the Saints did, the next year it's your time. And it kind of is like that because look at the Chiefs. If D. Ford doesn't go off sides, they pro they're probably talking about a Chiefs dynasty because yeah. I, I promise Mahomes would have scored more than three points in the Super Bowl against the Rams last year. So D. Ford's now a 49er. That, that's going to be fun all week. That is. So I I don't know. It, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. But both teams just, I feel like, had a nice, easy road. If you can say that to the Super Bowl, the Chiefs played the Texans and the Titans, two AFC South teams, and then you have the Niners with the two NFC North teams. It's just weird. It's, it's a weird year. But shout out to Raheem Mostert. What a game from that yeah, guy. Awesome game. He had fewer than 300 yards combined in the last three seasons. He got over 220 in the conference championship game. He scored four touchdowns. And it's just insane. You know, the Chiefs have 
Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins on the, on the edges. Everybody knows who those guys are, but the 49ers are doing this with Debo Samuel running the reverses and Raheem Mostert. Like Tevin Coleman starts that game for the Niners at running back, three and out on the first drive. They go to Mostert. It's like the most dominant rushing performance in playoff history, arguably. And it's so weird. That guy was on six different teams in six seasons. Yeah, that was awesome. That's what I was going to say. The thing that stuck out to me the most, obviously, he had a very good game, 220 yards, four rushing touchdowns. But what stuck out to me is uh, the postgame presser uh, where he talks about how every morning when he wakes up, he looks at that list of the seven teams that he got cut by, uh, and he looks at the days that he got cut by them just to, for motivation. For So that's just crazy to see that he's been cut by seven different teams in the league. And, and he's then, capable of that. Yeah. Like that's just what he comes out with in the NFC Championship. That's awesome, and it, I'm not a Niners fan because I'm a Rams fan. They're rivals, but you do have to appreciate how the 49ers have bought into team success versus individual success. For sure, the truest testament of that is when you can you watch their tight ends and their wide receivers block. Kittle caught his first pass of the game like what late in the third quarter yesterday, and he's still just maximum effort blocking. Emmanuel Sanders didn't catch a pass yesterday. Didn't catch a pass. Blocked his ass off all game. And Jimmy Garoppolo literally threw eight passes. Eight. That is insane. For less than 80 yards. Like, it's so weird. Terry Bradshaw's interviewing him after the game when they're giving the trophy out. And he's like, I won the Super Bowl back in the day and only threw threw 11 passes. It can be done. And it's like, can it really still be done in 2019, 2020? Well, if you get an effort like that from your running back, I think it definitely can. Yeah. Uh, uh, Because that's just crazy to me. Eight passes, less than 80 yards, and your team still wins by 17. Yeah. That's that's impressive. It is nuts. And Jimmy G quietly going for his third Super Bowl ring. That is also wild. Kind of slept on. <laughs> yes. Yes, he may have to earn this one a little bit more than he did in the past. But both of these teams have really good, offensively brilliant coaches. And Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid. And they both have a ton to prove in the Super Bowl, which is a great storyline going into it. Andy Reid, one of the best coaches of all time to never win a Super Bowl, yeah. is now taking two teams to the Super Bowl 15 years apart. And Kyle Shanahan, he's the infamous offensive coordinator of the Falcons in the biggest Super Bowl collapse in NFL yeah. history, up 28-3, to and their play calling did change, and he took a lot of the blame from that with him to San Francisco. And one of them is getting rid of those demons on February 2nd. I think he's definitely on a redemption tour, you know, from that – that epic uh, comeback the Patriots had against him yeah. as OC. Um, and then also, like you said, with Andy Reid, he's been so good for so long. When you think of great coaches in the NFL, you think of him. He's one of those names. And it's, you just want to see it for him because he's been there so long and he's had such great teams, but he's just never been able to get over that hump. So I think a lot of fans in the NFL that have been watching for a while, they definitely want to see him get his first Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's had 15-plus, like, double-digit win seasons. That is incredible. With all kinds of different teams. You go through so many different roster situations and all that time, especially as a coach of the Eagles and the Chiefs. So much has been different, and now he's kind of had his greatest quarterback that he's ever had in his career, and he's really taken advantage of it. Both of these teams' play calling just fits their style of play so perfectly. And they both just really, really deserve to be here. So it, it's going to be a great Super Bowl. Chiefs are minus one and a half on the early line. What are your thoughts when looking at this game? Do you have like, it, did you see that and think, man, I really like this team to win? Or are you still up in the air? Um, I do like the Chiefs to win. Um, 
I personally, I think this line before it's all said and done, make it can get up to as high as maybe minus three Chiefs. Yeah, I think that that's probably the max. Yeah, so I think that's about where we'll maybe get. Me personally, if I were betting on it, I would I would still take it at minus three. Honestly, I think that you're going to see it about even. And I think that that's kind of what we saw in the national championship game. I don't think that the two teams that played in the national championship were by any means evenly matched and everybody got to see that. But, you know, you and I are both on LSU in the championship, but a lot of people were on Clemson and they were both undefeated. They were both really good and like made sense for each party to pick each of them for their reasons. And I think that you're going to see a similar thing with the 49ers Chiefs. It's it just makes sense for people to like either of these teams to win the Super Bowl based on the product that they've given you. And another thing about both of them, they're really fast. Yeah. Like they're just blatantly fast, like speed kills. And these are two of the fastest teams that you will watch. And I think the Ravens are in that category as well. The Titans were just a horrible matchup for them. But the way this team gets up the field and blocks, the way they get down the field with passing or running the ball, they're just really fast. And it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, definitely can't wait. Uh, and I can't wait to see the outcome of it. I like the Chiefs as well. But I have a lot of jerseys back here. Not one of them is a 49ers jersey. There is a white Mahomes jersey, though. So I have something to wear if I take the Chiefs, which makes a big difference. Oh, a huge difference. So I like the Chiefs now, and I'm going to continue to like the Chiefs based on wardrobe options for Super Bowl party. So I think that's fair. Yeah, I'm hoping that works out. Let's move to college basketball. Awesome weekend for the Commonwealth. We're going to start with my team, your team, the Louisville Cardinals. Find their identity in Durham. Two huge wins last week, one at Pittsburgh, and then they somehow go into Duke. Eight-point underdog, win the game straight up, three to one on the money line. Just incredible. Jordan War goes three for 11. They still win the game. It was a team effort, and I can't believe it. Louisville might be the best team in the ACC. Yeah, it was definitely a great win for sure. It was just good uh, to see that this team finally pull together a complete game against one of the top teams in the country. Yeah. Or a very good competition. I think any time that any team, not just Louisville, can go into Cameron Indoor Stadium and beat Duke on their home floor, you got to call that a good win. Absolutely. So, you know, kind of like you said, I was very proud of how this team held its composure, too, uh, when Duke started getting back into the game. Um, especially, you know, with what all that happened last year at home against Duke. I know that those probably those, some of those uh, memories from that game were in their head going into this, and I'm just glad that they're not, they didn't let it happen again. That's so true. So many of these guys experienced that last year, and that was the worst moment of Louisville basketball last season for sure. And you go into a raucous environment that's just going nuts, basically the size of a high school gym, and they come out of there with a win, and really everybody helped out. Sutton did his usual thing, thirteen and five. Was at you can just you know what to expect from the guy at this point. Yep. Wara really struggled, but he did have eight rebounds. So maybe he's buying into I'm gonna do the little things to help this team when I'm a little bit off. And he didn't force it a ton. Only three for twelve. Twelve feels like a lot, but it could have been up to twenty. There were Easily. times where he deferred where fans are wanting him to shoot more. But I, I think that it's proven in the result that he played the game the right way. He just couldn't Definitely. hit shots. But David Johnson, 17 points in the first half. Nobody where I was watching the game had any idea what they were watching. He's just dunking, back-cutting, playing really confident basketball. And he kind of has a tough second half where he ends up getting hurt after back-to-back turnovers. But 
Fresh Kimball, again, just big shot after big shot. Definitely. Comes to play in the big moments. It's huge that we had him. Steven Enoch hitting a couple of big threes. That was huge. Malik Williams with a huge dunk. And I want to say about Samuel Williamson, everybody's expecting him to come in here and be a star. He's a McDonald's All-American. He's a guy that was projected in the draft lottery before this season started. It hasn't gone that way. Right. But against Duke, he was out there, and he's the fifth best offensive player on our team pretty much at all times when he's on the floor in right. terms of being able to score right now. And he's probably never been in that situation in his basketball career in his life. He's probably always been the best player on every team he's ever been on. And now he's the fifth best player. And I thought he did a lot of really good things that the fifth best player is supposed to do. Tipping out offensive rebounds, rotating hard on defense, doing the little things, diving after balls. And that was really impressive. And that's what we're going to need. Everybody bought into, like the 49ers, individual success doesn't matter. We got to go out there. We got to find a way to win. And that's all this team's done. It's find a way to win. Yeah. Very impressed with the way they played Saturday and the, how they did all, all three games on the road and this little road stretch. And like you said, uh, even with Jordan not having the best game, that's actually what I love the most about this game. A lot of the season, we've been very, we've been living and dying by how he plays. Yes. And this, um, you know, when obviously he's on more times than he's off, so it works out for us. But there's been times where he has not played well. And we just look lost on the floor. We're like, all right, he's not scoring. He's not giving a great defense effort sometimes. If he's not scoring, we're kind of standing around on offense. Like, what do we do? And we didn't do that this game. He wasn't doing great. Obviously, David Johnson had his breakout game, I would say, like or where people around the country really started to see him. So that was good. Um, I just love that we just didn't give up or we just didn't – we. We didn't look lost when Jordan wasn't playing well. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that. Even even Ryan McMahon, worst matchup for him of the season. Couldn't even really keep him out there. 13 minutes, he hits a huge three yep. to put us up four off the out-of-bounds play. Everybody contributed a little bit into the game. Even Darius, who really struggled, only played 15 minutes, yep. made one three, got into a confrontation that seemed to spark our team a little bit. And they do the get-the-gat dance on the plane on the way home, which really, world's colliding for me. Yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty nice, I'm sure, for you. Yeah. <laughs> one one week, uh, you know, you got LSU doing it. Next, you got uh, Louisville doing it. I know. It feels like it can't get any better. But it might. Louisville kind of has an easy stretch coming up. They're not going to play a team that I would view as probable to beat them. It might be till at Florida State on February 24th to where I feel like they probably should lose. Florida State's up to being ranked fifth. But they play Virginia on my birthday, February 8th. And before that, we have Georgia Tech Wednesday at home. Clemson Saturday at home at Boston College next week. At NC State next week. Wake Forest at home, Virginia at home, at Georgia Tech, at Clemson. Syracuse at home, North Carolina at home. These are all really winnable games. Definitely. And they just won four straight. It it could get up to double digits. And I think that would be great to see because... Things weren't feeling great after uh, the UK game on December 28th, after Florida State put it on us a week from that date. And that was just a short two weeks ago. It's nice yeah, to see the turnaround. Definitely, I agree. And just like you said, the schedule does not look too too tough. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've definitely gotten some of our harder games out of the way already. And I can easily see this streak getting up to at least nine from where we're at now. Um, and then if we take care of – business against Virginia I don't know they're not as great as they have been but no. we, we always seem to have a, an interesting game with them this is the year and it's on my birthday so we got to win that one yeah if we win that one I can see us like you said extend that even four or five games after that yeah maybe end up on a 12 to 13 game win streak that'd be nice to see back up to being ranked sixth nationally 
that's huge. I, I didn't know if it would ever get that high again, and it really looks like it's probably going to get higher. The teams ranked yeah. ahead of Louisville are going to have a lot of tough games. We'll see what happens. Now for the Cats, technical fouls work. I've been telling my team that I play with for years, when I get a technical foul, it's supposed to fire you all up. Yep. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But Cal shows that it works. He gets two technical fouls. He gets immediately tossed. UK immediately goes on a run, turns it on. It kind of sparks the Twitter jokes of like, oh, now they have somebody actually coaching. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but they did go to zone right after yep. he got tossed, and it totally worked. So impressive win for the Cats. Agreed. Arkansas is a pretty good team, and just to be in that situation where – that building is about to erupt once he gets tossed. Oh, yeah. Everybody in there wants you to lose, to turn it around and win. Really impressive. Kentucky's playing some good basketball. That South Carolina game, I think, is going to be an outlier at the end of the year. Yeah. Kind of fluky. Just a lot of, I mean, literally thrown up and made shots. You know, in, in the end, at the buzzer, that's obviously what people saw. But there were a lot more than just that in that game. So, I like what the Cats are putting together. Yeah, definitely got to give them their props. As you know, as, even as a Louisville fan, they are going to get everybody's best shot, especially when it's in the SEC yep. on the road. So they're always getting the, the best shot from everybody. And when you get your head coach ejected and you have a team that's that young come out of a hostile environment against a team that was 14-2 and two before yep. that game, just a solid performance by them for sure. It totally was, and Nick Richards, all the Kentucky fans we follow, I think he's going first overall. Another great game, 17 points, nine boards, six of eight from the field. It's what you expect, and quickly, and Hagens didn't shoot the ball great, four of 11 and three three of 14, respectively. Quickly played 40 minutes. He's been really coming on this year, too. Like, How about that, though? That's, a, that's impressive. You don't minutes. see that a lot. Yeah, no breaks. He didn't get a break. That's insane. Maxie only played 25 minutes. That's wild. That is pretty wild. Like you said, you don't really see that too often. Uh, so, hey, shout out to him. Man, 40 minutes, 3 for 14. That's crazy. I could never do that in a men's league game, play 40 minutes. But the Cats, big week coming up. Georgia comes to Rupp. Major trash talk the last time these two teams played. Kentucky will probably put it on them. They'll probably be favored by 10 to 12. It could get ugly. Georgia's been getting absolutely destroyed on the road since they won that game at Memphis, which now looking back on it looks like a miracle. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, UK handles Georgia easily, especially at home. They're going to be up for that game after all the trash talk last time. And then they're going to have all the fans at rough right behind them. So Yeah, that's going to be huge. Easy. Then they had two Texas Tech common opponent with the cards. Texas Tech dominated UofL at Madison Square Garden earlier this year. Big 12 SEC Challenge on Saturday. That's a really good game. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for that. Obviously, it's one of the harder places. Are, are they playing at Texas Tech? At Texas Tech, yeah, yeah. 6 o'clock on Saturday. And I think Kentucky is way better team than Texas Tech, but could go either way. Like it, Playing at Texas Tech is always tough. You, for sure. It, it just looks like it on TV, like it's a tough place to oh, play. Yeah. But I don't know. Ba Baylor went in there one early this year. I think Kentucky's capable of it. But – that would be that would be a great win to get. We'll that see. That would be a really good win. I'm also really excited for for a matchup within that game. I'm really excited to see uh, Texas Tech's freshman, Jamias Ramsey, uh, versus Ashton Hagens. Uh, people have been talking about Ramsey being one of the best freshman guards in the country and probably going to, like in the lottery. And then you have Ashton Hagens, who's supposed to be one of the best defenders. 
I'm excited to see how that matchup plays out. Hagen's defensive skill set showcases itself so much within every single game. It does. And it, it's wild. A lot of times players are really good on defense and you don't notice it. And then somebody tells you on TV that they're really good on defense. You start looking at it and you're like, wow, this guy is really good on defense. But Hagen's like, it, it shows up in the stat sheet how good he is on defense 100%. with all the steals. And Rick Pitino would have loved him. He's deflection king too. Ashton Hagen's is so good defensively. That's going to be a great matchup. And the cards... Georgia Tech and Clemson this week. Clemson beat Duke last week. Clemson only lost to Louisville by one at the Yum Center last season. That's going to be a tough game. And Georgia Tech, they've been playing some decent basketball. Josh Pastner looks just like Austin Bickett, and he's their head coach. So that's huge, something to look out for. We need to keep Austin away from the Yum Center. It should be fine. Hopefully uh, we can go 2-0. and Yeah, hopefully so. I think we can do it. We just got to take it one game at a time. Uh, make sure we play hard, play like the team we know we can be. I think we'll take care of business this week. I hope so. And no football this weekend, which is a huge bummer. Only one football game left, the biggest game. Not much else going on. Is there anything you'd like to talk to me about? Um, yeah. Are we going to go uh, 2-0 and this week for our bowling league or, or what? I think so. Maybe. I'm actually really injured, and I have that in here. Um, I was going to talk to you about my bowling injury, so we – we went to All You Can Bowl on Friday, and I bowled 20 games, which I'm now finding out isn't a great idea. Not a good idea at all. Um, yeah, I just couldn't stop. We kept getting tied, you know, on the best of. One more game turned into a lot, a lot of more games, and I'm really, really injured in both of my basketball games. I was in excruciating pain the whole time. It's continuously getting worse, and it sucks because all I want to do is go to the alley. It's so fun once you get into it, man, I'm telling you. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, next time definitely – Try to try to keep bowling games under ten. Under ten per you know every, every time you go. Yeah. If you get to ten, you should probably stop. Yeah, you're definitely right, and I I felt it being hurt while it was going on, and I just totally ignored it. But here I am. I'm really hurt now, and I literally can't physically go bowling. So I'm questionable for Thursday at best. You know, I people are man. probably banking on me not to play, but I it'll mean, be a game time decision. No. Yeah, I'll still be there to support. But yeah, we got a great team. We would have beaten all of the other seven teams. That we could have early. played. Yeah, absolutely set the tone. Yeah, you and Evan are really good. Thanks, man. Uh, I think Evan's a little bit better, though. He had a higher score than me the day before. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird. You guys are so tall. Definitely, like, a nice dual sport lineup, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, we're really good at bowling, and I think we'd be a really good basketball team, too. We'd be solid, Not sure. sure if Candace or Beal could play the two on a basketball team. <laughs> But we probably have to go zone. Yeah, definitely have to go zone for sure. But bowling, solid. Both the girls over a hundred each game. You love to see it. Yeah. We're taking this league, no I, doubt. I hope so. Yeah, it's definitely championship or bust for our red strike bowling team. Okay, is that all we got? Yeah, man, it's fun. As always, thanks for having me. Hey, anytime, man. TTY. Another night of The Bachelor. Tonight was not a great one. Would you agree? Very slow episode, definitely. Yeah, very rough episode. It began with tears. It ended with tears. So we'll just start from the top and we'll go through everything that happened and you just let me know what you think. So it starts off with Alea, who is seriously exhausted from dealing with this thing for the past two days. But what she's talking about at this moment when the episode starts is Champagne Gate with Kelsey and Hannah Ann. 
which we thought was going to be a huge factor in this episode. 100%. Going into it, I'm thinking we're spending at least half our time on that. But what, I mean, we spent six minutes on it. It was just ridiculous. They're both crying separately. Then they're crying together. Then Kelsey's like, I don't even like champagne. And I was like, what? What, yeah, what's what is going this about on? then? What's what's this then? Because it what seemed like here? you really like the champagne, if not too much. I don't know. Well, Victoria P gets a solo date before we address the bully gate allegations. Victoria P gets a solo date, and they're cruising in an old school truck, and they're headed to the country general store. I love a good general store. Yeah, it looked like a good time. They got their cowboy hats on, and I think that red cowboy hat that Victoria P. had would look great on me. What do you think? It would work well. I think it would really bring out your eyes. I totally agree. You need to get one of those. So they walk into the canyon, and the crowd goes nuts. It's time for some line dancing that Peter has just taught Victoria P., and she just learns it seamlessly over a span of minutes, and they go out there and absolutely kill it. It was stellar. I mean, for someone who's so bad with motion sickness, she was on top of this from the start. Like, it was, it was nothing. Loads of rhythm. They have a nice time, and she's an LSU grad, so I like her. I'm cheering for her now. Tough first impression, but, you know, she opens up about her past. She gets a rose right there. It's an emotional scene. Then they go make out in a stationary plane. Yeah, you know, that's kind of what was expected. Peter seemed like he was asking her, like, what her upbringing was. Maybe she had a bad ex-boyfriend, but then found out that she had, like, a really <laughs> upbringing, and he kind of looked a little shocked, but he was like, oh, i got to play into this, look real good for her. So I was a fan of that. Yeah, it, it was, I'm glad he looked like he cared. It was a nice moment, and and I think he does care. And Victoria P, she seems sweet. We like both Victorias, I think. I don't know if there's been a single date where a girl hasn't cried. Just yeah, bawled her eyes out. There's a lot of tears, whether they're on a date or not. They are absolutely crying. And then we go back to Bullygate for a minute. Now it's Kelsey versus Hannah Ann, week two, and they're having a conversation. They're talking it out and. And Kelsey kind of says what I said last week. You know, like when you call something bullying, it takes it to another level. It's it's no longer trash talk. It's bullying. Hannah Ann is saying that it's bullying. Kelsey's saying it's not. So the definition of bully is seek to harm, intimidate, or coerce. And then it, it also adds in parentheses, someone perceived as vulnerable. And I would like your opinion. Do you Do you think that what happened with Kelsey and Hannah Ann was bullying? I would say no, but that's more from a guy's perspective. So you think it's general trash talk? It seemed like trash talk. I mean, walking down the halls of the sales, we said a lot more f***ed up to each other. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, she's she's calling her a bitch. She's calling her fake. And I don't know. I think bullying is in the eye of the beholder. I guess, but if you want to say that, then it's, you know, it's not bullying to one. It's not, she can't pull the bullying card. Well, you know, if I'm at school and I and I see a girl... And, you know, she's she's being rude or she's just lame in general. And I'm like, God, you're a nerd. I don't think I'd ever use bully. You know, you know, but if she goes and tells the principal that I've bullied her, I'm losing that battle. Shay was unfortunately unable to appropriately respond to that part. So we'll move on with the show. So honestly, the bully gate, the recap that I have for you. Uh, at Red Talk is that nothing really happened, nothing got solved. We kind of just swept it under the rug. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. And just after that whole thing ended, I was like, man, I know it's our first time watching The Bachelor, but the girls are a lot better to look at, but the guys were so much easier to just deal with. That they just is, hung out in the house, like just bro stuff. Fantastic point. 
Yep, in Alea. That's the story of the night. Miserable human. We also met her tonight. Yeah, she definitely sucks. All the girls hate her. We hate her. Uh, she just doesn't really fit in with the rest of the house. She definitely seems fake from a watcher's perspective. I don't really know that she's given them a ton of that. Like, I, I just kind of thought she was just drunk and obnoxious versus fake. Yeah, definitely in the house, she had to be drunk. If not, if that's her actual personality, that's a problem. So that's, Nobody wants that. Yeah, it's chapter one of the episode, and now Demi's back. And the girls are awoken by pillows being called maggots, you know, which is which is just really nice. Yeah, I mean, that's what I want to get woken up to is, I mean, the pillows were cool, but I don't want to be called a maggot. Yeah, they're they're all woken up. They're all makeupless. Not exactly your rose ceremony attire. <laughs> uh, and then we have Kiara, who calls lingerie lingerie. That stumped me. I was like, huh. That happened, and I believe that is proof of a teleprompter. So, you know, they're getting these little sideline interviews during it, and I, I just think that that shows that they're reading something. I really know, hope so, because, like, you see the no word, one says lingerie. You see the word lingerie, right? You see it, you read it, you don't hear it, and you don't have no idea what it is. That's probably how you say it. I could see that if you know? she's never went, but I, I mean, she's a girl in her mid twenties. She's it. seen the word lingerie, and that's a contortionist, right? Yeah, she's the one that came out of the suitcase. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she spent her time learning just different things than we do. This is true. Like she can get out of a suitcase, we can pronounce lingerie. These Who are wins? Facts. I would go with us because we sound better. But, yeah, you know. but hers is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I she know. can she can hide from people. It cut that. It wasn't cool at the time. So dates planned by Demi. They're all in lingerie, pillow fight. Except tournament. for Savannah, she was wearing a muumu. Oh, okay. I don't know what that is. Help. I, I that's what she called it. Okay. It was like the long gown that looked old. No doubt. I'll look it up after the show. So we now have a pillow fight tournament. Uh, these two assistants are named Champagne and Killer. Probably fake names, but if they aren't, awful parents. Yeah, 100%. I mean, those names were miserable. Yeah, so this is called Demi's Extreme Pillow Fight Club. Uh, we got Fred Willard and Chris Harrison on the call, ABC's network. And then we get the cringiest moment immediately provided by Demi. Imagine that. She says, it's Tammy the Taminator versus Kelly the Prosecutee. Awful it moment. Was, uh, it was bad. Tammy was in her element, though. Varsity high school wrestler to pillow fight club extraordinaire. So. Yeah, I mean, it's heated in there. There's a, they flash to a grandmother in the crowd, and she's throat slicing a teddy bear. That was hardcore. You look like Undertaker out there. I'm thinking it's a tournament. Tammy goes out there and dominates. She's beating her chest like King Kong in the sideline interview. And then they make it Sydney versus Alea in the championship. It felt more like a rivalry grudge match. They already match fought in the preliminaries. So versus I was very confused. I don't know what's going on, but you know it's Sydney versus Alea, and Sydney looks to just kick the shit out of her. But they just give Alea the title for some reason, which reminds me of a lot of you know UFC fights I watched in the day where I just don't understand the result at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, like Sydney said, she was dominating the fight, but then. The elephant rolled up on her like she was just a small cat. Called so, her an elephant. That could be bullying. That was like, whoa. But, you know, I respected Sid because Sid Vicious is a sweet nickname. And Alea just, well, you find out she just sucks. Yeah, Sid Vicious. Interesting nickname. I saw you tweeted that. You really liked that one. So it's from I, back in the day from old WWF. Oh, I love that. I'm not a big wrestling guy myself. Hey, I mean, you know, to each his own. Yeah, I feel that. Thank you. They all get a little one-on-one -on -one time. After the pillow war, 
and Sydney uses her time to call Alea out. The report is not anonymous. Peter brings it up in a group setting, and uh, he kind of just believes everyone. Doesn't really know what to do, you know? He just doesn't seem like he's cut out to be the bachelor right now. He doesn't know which girl's telling the truth. They're, they could all be lying, and he would believe every single one of them. He's just kind of shook by the process, I think, and I think he's getting a little too caught up over girls who are probably coming in, like, what, like ninth? At best. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, and then we get a quick flash of Madison, who we hadn't seen Maddie at all. Rose. And she has had way less airtime since Lexi Browning broke the news on last episode of Red Talk that she comments on her own Instagram photos, which is a big no-no. I'm completely off the Madison train. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's not cool. You can lie all you want, but you did it. Oh, she definitely did it. She definitely thinks that she is very real and genuine. Which, like, I mean, I think that about myself. Yeah, I wouldn't, like, comment under my own account on that, though. Yeah, all right, good point. So back to Alea. She's heavily compared to Jed this entire episode. Because they're all saying she's not here for the right reasons. Peter's drawn back to Hannah's season. Hannah was completely fooled by Jed. And I would just like to revisit what a piece of Jed is. Yeah, was never a fan. That was your winner from night one. People forget. I don't. Yeah, well, uh, uh, when there's spoilers out there that we just cannot avoid. I've avoided spoilers. I heard Jed's new song. Yeah, I was sent it. Yeah, I I know you didn't listen to it, but I, I was forced to listen to it. Was it good? It's called Risk. It is horrible. It's it is horrendous. It's it's seriously the worst song I've as ever heard. As bad as you expect. I'm not sense. just saying that either because I don't like Jed. If, if that song's played for me and I don't know who the artist is, I immediately know it's Jed because of how bad it is. It's that bad. That makes sense. I, I mean, mean, he's just not a good person, not a good artist. It's an awful song. And, you know, it only takes about three and a half minutes of your time. And I do think you should throw it on because you like country music and I think that you'll definitely not enjoy it. It'll be the worst part of your day. But See, it'll, that just sounds bad. It'll make another part of your day that was also bad seem a little better than what it was. So it would turn a bad part of my day into a not as bad part of my day? Yes. It would fill the void of worst part of my day? Yeah. It's far from a risk. Okay. You know, 10 minutes of this entire episode was pretty much just spent with Peter staring off into space thinking about what he's going to do. And I could just do without that. He really, he's not cut out for this. He's just not ready for all these girls coming at him with all these different statements, facts, whatever he thinks they are. He just doesn't seem prepared. They say hitting is contagious, though. Maybe crying is contagious. Maybe he just can't help it. I can't stand the crying. He's around nothing but crying and Chris Harrison. Chris Harrison's got to pull him together. Yeah. He's got a show to run. Yeah, very true. So, Peter calls on Victoria P., who he views as a genius. She, he wants her opinion on the Alea drama. And Victoria P. goes on to spill the dirt that Alea asked her to lie about them knowing each other pre-show, which is somehow just huge news. And, I mean, it, it just didn't matter to me at all. No, it made no sense. And they both had different uh, sayings about it. Like, Victoria P. said, maybe we've talked to each other for three hours our entire life. And then Alea's like, we've known each other. We've been good friends for years, Mike. What's going on here? And we hear that, and we're thinking, well, Alea's probably lying, just from seeing their mannerisms and how they are. For sure. Victoria seems like a way more honest person. But after their ninth convo of the episode, Peter kind of cold shoulders Alea over that, you know, over this moment. That was his first cold shoulder of the season, and I was kind of proud of him. He's got to gotta do more of that. He does. I mean, I would have done it a lot earlier. Alea's vo- voice most of the episode, I was like, 
I'd rather be deaf right now. Like, it was rough. It definitely was rough. Getting a lot of hate from a bunch of people texting me, like, her voice is just bad, bad. I'm like, I kind of respect it. Yeah, she's this season's cam in terms of just universal hatred. Yeah, well, she deserved it. Zero positive things said about Alea. Things aren't looking good for her. She, she keeps kind of fighting back with these little convos with Peter, and she comes back feeling more satisfied. But this one, after the ninth one, Peter's had enough. He leaves show at 9.36 p.m. Rose ceremony up next. Drama just building. So we start the rose ceremony. Three girls already have roses. Sydney, Victoria P., and Victoria F. Victoria's just dominating out there. They should. So he, he gives out roses to everybody that you'd think he'd give a rose to. And some that you definitely didn't. Was yeah, there shocked. was a couple that I was like, what's going on was, here? Was shocked to see Kiara advance after her mispronunciation of lingerie. But she does. She, I, I don't know if odds. she's talked to Peter the whole show. Yeah, maybe he just feels bad because he spent zero time with him. It's an interesting strategy. Avoid him. Make him feel guilty for spending no time with you and just keep advancing. I was surprised Sheehan got a rose, too. Yeah, what is Sheehan doing for the show exactly? She, she's not bringing anything to the show. Yeah, but... Peter becomes distraught mid-rose ceremony with two roses left. It's time for a Coach QB conversation between Peter and Chris Harrison. Peter comes back out, and Chris takes one of the two remaining final roses. I mean, we're up. We're standing up now knowing that one more girl is getting eliminated than there was going to be. Just knowing the Bachelor Bachelorette can just dictate the show and roses in whatever way they see fitting is wild. Yeah, not a lot of rules. No, the Bachelor can do whatever they feel, which is, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but at the same time, it's like, why are we even here? So we got one rose left, and it's either going to McKenna or it's going to Alea. There's three other girls there. You know, we don't even know what their names are. They're they're such non-factors that when they get eliminated, I don't even think they get to say goodbye to Peter. They absolutely don't get the uh, walkout speech. No, there was... Alexa didn't get a walkout speech... I think Jasmine said bye to Peter, and then Blue Dress, who I don't know who Blue Dress is, did not get anything. Uh, Sarah. Sarah's Blue oh, Dress. Sarah. Very pretty girl. Didn't bring anything to the table, I guess. Non-factor completely in the season. Got to be stronger for Peter. Yep, already gone, but McKenna's body language just sucks the whole time. Like Every single girl that gets a rose, McKenna looks like she's just getting shot with a bow and arrow in different parts of her body, just jolting. Really hard to watch, but she gets rewarded for it immediately, advances, and Alea is eliminated. She needed to get the boot, at least, you know, for now. Yeah, but not so fast, my friend. Maybe she's going to be back. I had such a pointless episode in my notes after Alea was eliminated. But guess what? We saw the preview. Previews made the entire show worth it. And it looks like Alea's coming back. So I thought it was pointless when we eliminated her because we spent so much time on... I mean, what? It, it had to be 75% of the episode was just this Alea... Yeah. For no reason. It was like Sydney's word, and then it just turned into Alea's a bad person. Oh, it was horrible. So Peter eliminates her, and then he's crying, saying he shouldn't have sent her home. But he doesn't do what I thought he was going to do, which is go land his plane in front of her car and stop her. Which would have made sense. I could have seen that or just flying a plane and spelling out in the sky. Oh, but no. This show just ends. It ends. And then we see the preview for next week, and it looks like Alea is going to come back. There are no rules. She looks like Angeline on season two of Jersey Shore. And there's another part of the preview that had you just going wild. Loved every second. It looks like country music star Chase Rice is in the house. And he's going to be doing a concert. And Peter and Victoria F. are going to be on a date there, and all that sounds really cool. 
Until you find out that Victoria F. and country music star Chase Rice used to date. I thought that was awesome. That just made my night. I was like, wow, next week's actually going to be, seems like it's going to be pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, you were up for it. I was excited, too. I, I read something a long time ago before this season was even near starting that this was going to happen. That, like, Chase Rice was going to be performing at a concert. One of the girls was going to have dated him. And I was just kind of like, yeah, you know. Ooh. But now that I see it's Victoria F., I'm, like, up. I'm hyped. Victoria F., and I've decided I'm Team Sydney now, too, so my top two are still going strong. I'm very excited to see where this Chase Rice thing goes. Yeah, I'm I'm hyped for it. I'd like to see Chase Rice get involved a little bit. Maybe ask for Victoria F. back and have her in a situation to make a really tough call between The Bachelor and a, and a country music star. I mean, he could probably take Peter. He played linebacker at North Carolina. Look Chase at you Rice knowing did, Chase so. Rice facts. Hey, he's, he was a player. Okay. So it could get a little interesting next week. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to next week then. We got Chase Rice. We got Victoria F. Alea back in the house. Peter, he's really struggling, but I have a feeling he's going to figure it all out. And I also have a feeling that this is going to be the most dramatic season ever. Has to be. There's no way around it. We'll be the most dramatic. You can confirm it. Always is. Shay, do you have anything you'd like to talk to me about? Something that was a little slept on beginning of the episode when Hannah Ann was still crying before. Uh, Kelsey came and talked to her. She does not know what the word fiasco is. She used the term finasco. And that just, I kind of sat there for a minute. I was like, she, she didn't just say that on TV, did she? But she said she was tired of this whole finasco. Yeah, she snuck that by, didn't she? She snuck it by. She, she didn't know the word. She didn't know the word fiasco at all. And I think you can tell by how badly she botched it. I think she had heard it in situations that she knew what she wanted to use, but she didn't totally know the word. So she just gave it her best shot. Hey, that's her job's a model. She's not paid to talk. She's paid to look pretty. To me, she's doing her job well. Just wanted to point that out there. Watch yourself, Pete. Yeah, Hannah Ann, she's hanging in there. I thought the lingerie thing was a way bigger deal than the fiasco thing. Maybe it's because Hannah Ann is an actual factor in the season. That's true. I, I, I mean, Kiara's got to be gone next, right? <laughs> She's done nothing. I don't know what's going on. I would like to see reasons for why these girls are being eliminated versus just the same argument the entire episode. It's really rough. Yeah, but then it's not reality TV. Yeah, true. Do you have anything else on week three, Bachelor? Uh, when Pete was talking to Tammy after, or on the group date after the Fight Club pillow fight, Pete wanted to be clear that he does not make out with his bros. It's something he does not do. He did confirm Tammy was worried that he was looking at her as if she were one of the bros, and Peter assured that he doesn't do this with his bros, and then leaned in for a kiss. So, you know, Pete, there's nothing wrong with, you know, giving your bro a kiss every now and then. It's, it's cool, man. Come on now. Confirmed Peter does not kiss his bros. That's great. Uh, anything else? The pool party? I don't think a single girl got near the water. Thought that was funny. I mean, I watched the entire episode. Didn't even realize that we had a pool party. They wore bathing suits. That was about it, though. Okay. You guess they didn't want to mess up their makeup. Which yeah. makes sense. Or hair. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Just funny in general. For the sake of the pool party, though, they could have had a few of them get in and just not get their hair wet. I mean, I do that sometimes. They could have told the girls that we're about to get the boot, too. Yeah. That would have been a great way to get involved, to stand out on camera in your final moments. Mm -hmm. Well, tonight was really rough. They, I, I agree. Kind of saved it with the preview. Pulled me back in with the preview, but just a an awful way to spend two hours. And we'll do it next week again. Yeah, we'll do it next week. I'll see you then. TTY.